One of the problems we face practicing in the monastery over long periods of time, months and years, because our minds are always being affected by avichar, ignorance, unawareness, and so on. It's that we sometimes lose track of where the place of practice is, what the important thing in the practice is. In the old days, sometimes people would come to Ajahn Chah and they would have their CV mentally ready and they would tell him how well they were practiced and they might tell him all the, the theory of the practice they know, the Abhidhamma, the suttas, the Vinaya. Or they might tell him about their meditation and that they can attain various states of meditation, concentration, or have different insight knowledges. But then depending on the conversation, how it was going, sometimes they would also express doubts and how should they progress with their practice. Or Ajahn Chah might just point out that they still weren't clear in their practice and he might ask them something, you know, they might say, I can attain deep states of samadhi. What should I do now? How should I develop my practice further? And say something like, well, do you still get angry? Or do you still have desire come up in your mind? You might just bring them right back down to earth, earth level, with a very simple question. And this is sometimes what we have to learn how to do over time, practicing over long periods of time, because we get used to the routine, the lifestyle, and we may accumulate more knowledge, more experience, but we also have to keep coming back to this basic point. Where are the defilements arising on a daily basis? And even if we do know much of the Dhamma, even if we've been practicing many years, and we, we know, feel that we know the Vinaya, know the suttas, and know the technique of practice, we still have to come back to this basic reflection of what's arising now for me. Do I still have desire? Do I still have anger? And so on. And 
because that's where the place of practice is. And we have to be honest and clear with ourselves if we really want to pro progress, develop ourselves to free ourselves from suffering. Well, we have to look at where suffering is arising, how it's coming up, and what's feeding it for ourselves in our own minds from day to day, moment to moment. So the practice involves keep, we have to keep coming back to this sense of uh, taking responsibility for our own practice, our own thoughts, our own actions. <clears throat> Although the people around us, the place, the external conditions affect us, the, these things are all beyond our control and they're not our immediate, direct responsibility. Our responsibility in the practice is always what's arising in the mind, here and now, for me, in this time, in this place. And the Dhamma is Sanditiko, it's apparent here and now. So we have to be developing that attitude to keep turning attention back to ourselves even though we do get involved with the world and the things of the world and other people. That's not the solution to our suffering. The solution is our own mind and taking responsibility for that, looking after it and training it. Some people have compared the monastic training even to like a bit like a marriage. In that when you enter a marriage, in the first period, the honeymoon period, you're still caught up with the attraction, the appearance of your partner, the nice words, the new experiences. But then over time, because you live together, you get to know each other very, very well. So you see your partner's good side and their faults. You get to know all their weaknesses and faults. And then also over time you have your routines, you see each other, maybe it becomes a bit boring, mundane, your daily routine. And of course we age, so no longer so attractive over time. So as different people deal with this, you know, the wise person in a relationship, they would look for something deeper beyond just the appearance of their partner or just getting caught up with their faults and weaknesses. One would maybe develop an appreciation of the value of having a companion, sharing experience, supporting each other and so on and take their their marriage to a deeper level and so maybe it flowers, lasts, but on a more deeper, profound level. Whereas other people might just react with aversion, knowing their partner's faults and the 
honeymoon being over, the sort of the glamour, the attraction fades, just left with a kind of a routine and just seeing their, the faults and that's all they notice. So then they look for something else. So especially nowadays, people have less and less patience. So might seek for another partner, either secretly or openly. It's one way I seek for distraction, seek to end the relationship or just actually seek for another relationship. And then of course the partner might feel cheated. All those words of love and commitment and then realize we weren't quite so sincere after all. Or maybe just know while they go off for another, to another partner and the same thing will happen again. And they'll get bored with them, see their faults and then move on again. And you see that in society, it happens over and over again in a cycle. Some people maybe you can sense of being moving through samsara from relationship to relationship. Never getting beyond that problem of how to deal with these sort of issues that come up. So some people compare the monastic life to that. You come in with high ideals, faith. You could even say the glamour of the monastic form. And one might get support and respect and praise. But then over time one's commitment is tested the people one lives one with, one gets to know them. And although we keep a very high standard of discipline, still one might notice faults or weaknesses or different views on Dhamma. That might become an issue for one. One might get bored with the routine, the people, the place. So in a way one is challenged in the same way as in a marriage. How how well is one going to deal with that? So different views, if one's living with people, different views come up, how well does one deal with that? Or does it be a cause for suffering or conflict with others or doubts in oneself? Or getting to know other people and then noticing their faults and not liking that and finding fault and then getting caught into negativity. There's a certain similarity to a marriage. So again, in monastic training we have to come back to this deeper level of seeing through the superficial things like different views and opinions, the different kalesas we notice in others and come back to see the more deeper, profound, underlying value of the lifestyle and develop this quality of being a noble companion, good companion, Kalyanamitta. Just as you know, a long-lasting marriage, that's probably what they've developed for them, Kalyanamitta to the, each other if it's a wholesome partnership. That's what we have to do in the monastic training, is develop the ability to transcend the mundane, 
the more worldly views, uh, the, the negativity based around you know, seeing people's faults and weaknesses, personality differences, so on. One has to trans transcend that through the training and the commitment the training and then also this taking responsibility for one's own mind and one's actions. And this can be, you know, whether it's the first year in the training, the tenth year, the twentieth year, whatever, doesn't tra change. Ultimately, if we still experience kilesas, then we have to take responsibility for them. It's not anyone else's job. We have to do it. We are the only ones who can do it. And it's this it's a wise approach to practice that brings very good results. It's not necessarily whether you have a lot of kilesa or a few, or this kind of kilesa or that kind of kilesa. It's how you're dealing with them, whether you're dealing with them with right view and a responsible, wise attitude. So you do recognize kilesa as kilesa and then deal with it correctly. And this is what right view is, it's recognizing, say, in the first instance, what is wholesome dhamma and what is unwholesome dhamma as it arises in your mind whether it's rooted in greed, anger or delusion, or a mixture. And then recognizing then acting appropriately, learning how to abandon the unwholesome and develop the good. So that's on the level of our sila, so actions, speech. And then on the level of the mind, just even just the way we think, our attitudes, our views. Now on the external level, probably speech is the most common way Kilesa comes out in a monastery because actions we tend not to, uh, because our restraint is so high, the discipline, the rules, tend to um, smooth out or streamline our behavior so our actions are not too, uh, don't follow kilesa so much. They can, but not so much. But speech tends to be one area where kilesas come out. So speech which reflects our moods, either the desires to get things, want things, want praise or attention or material things. Uh, or displaying our negativity when we have um, negativity towards someone who might come out in our speech putting them down or either behind their back or to their face or jealousy comparing you know, and rivalry through our speech coming out in that way so practicing right speech is very fundamental part of this of taking responsibility for our kilesas, learning not to give in to our unwholesome tendencies in speech. And that's a training, obviously, sometimes we can do it well and other times we fail, but if one has right view, it's learning how to keep 
coming back to this training and, and working with it, seeing this is the job I have to do, this is what I have to do. And then working deeper down into the, the heart, the thoughts, the mind. Again, taking responsibility for our states of mind. Not letting them fuel our speech, our actions with kilesa. And this is you know, the way a Kalyana Mitta works, practices. It's not necessarily that they are completely pure yet, but it's they have right view and they're training and willing to train. So there's a, a humility there. It's not giving in to conceit or arrogance. And there's a, something admirable. The Kalyanamitta, one of the qualities, is admirable meaning one who is trying to train in whatever level they're on, wherever they're at in their practice, they're willing to work with their own karma, their own particular habits and qualities of their character. Makes them admirable. They're patient and they learn how to communicate well, right speech, and they learn how to listen well and even take other people's views, opinions, admonitions, and so on. And these are the qualities the Buddha said, this is a Kalyanamitta. And this is where we are really taking responsibility for our own action, speech, and then ultimately states of mind. Is this willingness to train, develop the good, abandon the unwholesome, If we don't do this, then <clears throat> we tend to get constantly falling back, caught, caught into delusion, which feeds our, our various kinds of greed, anger, negativity, jealousy, and so on. Now, Ajahn Chah always emphasized how you know, the fundamentals of practice are dealing with um, dhanha, ditti mana, the vinaya, the training, the giving up to the training is, is dealing with your craving, conceit and views. Yeah. Sense of mine, me, myself. And these are where kilesas come out most often in the monastery, in, 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 our, in our lives. This is particularly, say, on the coarsest level, it's the views, the views we hold. But also uh, just the sense of self, I'm better, I'm the same, I'm the worst, the conceit of that, and so on. This is where we're training on this daily basis. And sometimes you know, when you do see people caught into views, say views on Dhamma, one is right, one is wrong, different views that leads to maybe speech or actions based on that, or disharmony or disagreement. It always brings one back to the, the Buddha's simile of the um, the blind men and the elephant. That time in uh, Sawati, when Sawati, being a very holy city, always attracted many ascetics, and they weren't all disciples of the Buddha. Many of them 
they, they had different views preaching their views that the, the world is eternal or the self is eternal self is not eternal what happens to the Tathagata after death he exists, doesn't exist neither exists nor not exists views about the efficacy of karma karma exists, doesn't exist and so on they would all have their views and they would wrangle and sometimes the bhikkhus going out on arms round or into the village they would get a, accosted by these different ascetics or their disciples and challenge with views and get a bit flustered and one time they complained to the Buddha mm, a lot of views around, a lot of people with different views getting confused here the Buddha told them the uh, story of the king in the old days, the legend of the king who also had this problem with views and opinions among his entourage. So it was a way of exposing this, how foolish we can be, how blind we can be with grasping at views and leading to conflict or disagreements and the suffering of that he had the idea he got his uh, assistant to to gather up all the blind men who've been blind from birth in the kingdom get them all together we having there was a festival day all the uh, people were gathered around so he got all the blind men together in the middle of a, the, the, the field the area and got a royal elephant out in the middle of the field. He got his assistant to lead the different blind men who've never seen, witnessed an elephant before to go up and explain to them what an elephant is. And he got the first one just to hold the, the head, put his hand on it, pat the head, feel the head. The next one, the trunk. The next one, the tusks the next one the body, the next one the legs, the next one the, the haunches, then the next one the tail and the last one the, the bushy fluffy part on the end of the tail. And then he had the, uh, the assistant announce, well, for the first blind man, what, what do you think this is, this, this thing that you've been touching? He'd been touching the head of the elephant. So he said, "Well, this is this is like a water jar. So an elephant is a, is a water jar, or like a water jar." Next one says, "Well, the elephant is like um, he'd been touching the the tusks. So it's like the plowshare, the the curved part of the plow." The next one, it's like the pole of the plow, the straight part because he'd been touching the trunk. One feeling the body, says, oh, it's like a storeroom, huge storeroom. One touching the legs, it's like a thick post. One touching the haunches, it's like a mortar they use in preparing food. One touching the tail, it's like a pestle to pound the food. Oh, the one touching the ears, it's like uh, they used to use these baskets for threshing the the rice to dehusk the rice it's like a rice thresher basket 
the one uh, touching the fluffy bit on the end of the tail of his eyes, like a broom. So each had their own opinion what an elephant is or what it's like. And then they all started disagreeing with each other, hearing the others say, they said, no, no, it's like this. Because they couldn't see the whole picture. They each attached to their own view of their part of the picture and then unfortunately ended up having a big fight, punch up based on their different views, arguing so much. Perhaps they're trying to impress the king and the king was very amused and the crowd laughed at the foolishness of all these blind men. Not very politically correct today perhaps, but it's just a simile to bring that point up. So because of delusion we do get attached to views. Sometimes it's a partial view or a not quite the full view of the truth or we're not seeing the truth and so we can end up arguing or disagreeing. It's only when we can step back with mindfulness and insight to see the view as a view that the tendency to attach blindly might uh, fade and we realize oh, this is not worth fighting over. Rajan Chah often talked about the importance of coming to the monastery and learning to give up views, attachment to views and this is what the monastic training is helping you to do although it can be painful sometimes because we have many many views we've brought with us views and opinions about things but we'll see the suffering of it as we start to train in views about the, the place, the way of training, the routine the way it's set up, the teacher, the people there's plenty of fertile ground for attachment to views and opinions, but if it's leading to conflict in ourselves, doubt or negativity or even conflict with others, well then there's something not quite right there, is it? Something we have to take responsibility for ourselves. Look at where we may be attaching in one way views to overcome the attachment, the blind attachment of views, is we're seeing the other point of view. Just sort of looking around, being able to say first to listen to other points of view and then to see that point of view in contrast to one's own. And this is you know, part of practice, it's part of the Brahma Vihara Dhammas, the metta, kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity. Is can be able to see other people's point of view, their background, their place, where they're coming from, uh, the different views that come up in our own mind or we hear from others or see from others. If one can step back and look at different sides of an argument, well then there's no more arguments because one can see the other side. And that's partly just coming through compassion, isn't it? Understanding the other person Monastic training is helping to us to do that by letting go of our own views as we give up to the training while well, we can also let go of the tendency to conflict with other people's views. And we're just learning to see the, the blindness of attachment to views and the suffering it causes. And this is compassion.
one sees that over time living in the monastery then the development of the Brahma Vihara Dhammas are very much at the heart of you know, developing this sense of Kalyanamitta. And they all work together, both as attitudes, but also even just meditations. Learning to take responsibility for one's own uh, ignorance, one's own negativity, anger, jealousy, and so on. And developing these skillful attitudes because it's in one's own interest. You know, the development of, um, we all want to develop samadhi, one-pointedness or any state of one-pointedness, samadhi, whatever level is necessarily going to be characterized by the continuous presence of wholesome dhammas, kusala dhamma, the absence of unwholesome dhammas like greed, like anger, jealousy, will not be there. So it's in our own interest to be developing metta, karana, mudita, upeka. And when the mind does settle down in samadhi, for however, however long, however deep, then one is free, at least at that time, of, of those unwholesome tendencies. That's probably the best insight one can have into the value of the, the Brahma Vihara Dhammas is just actually experiencing a bit of peace of mind where the mind has let go of its negativity and its desires. And one just knows that oh, this is peaceful, this is happy, this is contentment. And obviously what might not be maintained as one comes out of that peaceful meditation, one carries on with business while the defilements re-emerge. But one has a very clear reflection then and one can have this sense, well these defilements, I'm the one who's got to let go of them. It's not something I can uh, push to other people or just try and run away from or escape from. You know, these are defilements that arise with me in my mind. I'm going to have to work with them and let go of them. But the piece of meditation is, you know, is very valuable insight for, for seeing that point. One both knows that it is possible to free the mind from kilesa, at least temporarily. And one also knows that it's one's own duty, one's own responsibility to do that. One can't do it just by arranging the world to one's liking so that these defilements don't arise. Any any kind of wise reflection you'll see, you can't get every desire satisfied. It's impossible. The nature of the satisfaction, the happiness that comes from desire is impermanent in itself, so we're always falling into more desire. And any negativity, it's our responsibility to see that that's causing us suffering. Aversion, irritation, that's, that's our suffering. We're the ones thinking that thought. Whatever anybody else does, you can't get away from your own thoughts. If you temporarily change the external conditions, the actual internal kalesa is still there, ready to pop out any other time. One isn't actually 
getting away from it, just sort of distracting oneself or changing the conditions. So one tries to get rid of the bits of one's life that one doesn't like, doesn't fit with one's view. Well, that won't really solve the problem. One has to go deeper. And that's where we also develop the equanimity. Nupaka grows out of this being willing to uh, take responsibility for our own defilements and being patient and working with them, keep facing up to them, both with humility and energy, effort, but also equanimity, accepting one's karma, one's, one has developed various wrong views, attachments, karmic accumulations, we've all got that, accepting that and then working with it with equanimity and similarly equanimity towards others, accepting well they also have their job to do, they have their karmic accumulations and they've got to work with them, but neither judging oneself nor others, neither averse to oneself or others or praising overly praising oneself or others, just knowing, oh, this is the karma, this is what I have to deal with, accepting that fact with wisdom and understanding. If we think of the Buddha himself, the Buddha was very, very clear, like with the blind man simile, he didn't leave any chance for us to kind of find excuses for our kalesas or hang on to them as they are, you know, sort of justify them or protect them or defend them. He was very, very clear that a kalesa is kalesa. Unwholesome dhamma is unwholesome dhamma and it causes a suffering. So the way of delusion is always to get caught more into our external sense of self body and mind and the sort of image we have of ourselves and the image we like other people to have of us. In the worldly dhammas we all like praise and respect and we dislike criticism and disrespect. We all want to be healthy, we hate illness. But that's the worldly dhammas of the external kind of self-view, self-delusion. Internally We have to rise above that and develop this equanimity. Uh, the Buddha would say, you know, another simile, simile of the the saw. If if a bunch of bandits or terrorists were to grab you and take away, take you away and start to saw you limb by limb, if at one for one moment you give in to anger ill will towards those bandits you're not following the teaching of the Buddha just for one moment not many moments just one moment of mind, a mind state of anger arose it gives us very clear direction what to do in the course of our daily life say Say anger, negativity arises, what do we do with it? With right view, we have to accept, well, this is 
my karmic conditioning from various attachments to views, desires and so on has come up. But instead of you know, trying to solve it by getting rid of the problem out, outside, getting rid of the external condition or whatever, which has helped to stimulate this anger, you know, the, the Buddha's instruction, well, you have to take responsibility for that thought, that moment of mind consciousness of anger and with right view, recognize it mindfully and then let it go, abandon it. It's as simple as that. This is why you know, Ajahn Chah would say things like, well, do you still get angry if somebody seemed to feel they're quite developed in the practice or very experienced, been doing it a long time? If you're still getting angry, then you're, it's your job to take responsibility for that, recognize it, let it go. If you do that, then you are practicing what the Buddha taught. But if you indulge it, you let it stay in your mind, and even worse, if you build on it so you're actually seeking you know revenge or holding a grudge then you're not practicing what the buddha taught it's simple simple as that sometimes now with equanimity as well we're not judging ourselves for being angry i'm bad i'm an angry type or something like that but we're just learning to recognize what the problem is accepting that and then dealing with it correctly with right view in the right way, even if it comes up a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times, we have to keep doing that. And the Buddha, one of the Buddha's similes for equanimity is like in previous life, being a, the Bodhisattva born as a prince to the king, the king, very cruel king. Can't remember how, but somehow gets a grudge against this son, blames him for something, and so he gets the uh, chief guard to come strap him down and to start torturing him, cutting him into him limb by limb, different parts of the body, slashing them open, but not killing him yet, but just torturing him. And the mother, the queen, comes and is begging for mercy save the son, don't do this, don't kill him, don't torture him. The Bodhisattva strapped down being tortured. And being the Bodhisattva recognizes this is a chance to develop Upekabharami. So I have to make my mind completely cool, detached in the same, thinking in the same way towards myself, my mother is begging for my life, the, the guard who's torturing me and my father who's ordering that. All the same. Again, very stark, direct teaching of what equanimity is. Based on all that training in Sila Samadhi Panya, obviously, but it's just a very simple reflection we can bring up if ever we get caught into, say, Negativity, you know, negativity towards somebody else in the community. How can you bring your mind to equanimity so you see that person and yourself exactly the same light? Appreciate them, appreciate yourself. Take responsibility for your own state of mind. Bring it to equanimity. 
That's what we have to do. That's what we have to do on the level of sila, on the level of samadhi, and on the level of panya. Obviously, as we deepen our meditation, our practice, well, it, it gets a bit easier because if we do have some peace coming up from meditation, well, equanimity, kindness, compassion, equanimity, sympathetic joy, they come more naturally from the mind. They flow from the mind. We also have to train in it, train in investigation and insight. You're looking at more deeply what a person is. You say you have negativity or jealousy towards another person. What is that person that you're jealous of or angry with? With insight, you're going into seeing there are the five candors, the, the body, the 32 parts, the four elements. reducing it right back down to we're all just earth, air, fire, water come together. We have Vaitana, we have Sanya, Sankara, Vinyana, which are impermanent, unsatisfactory, not self. So which bit is it that you're jealous of or angry with or unhappy with? Which bit is different between you and that person? Is it the earth element is somehow different? The water element, the fire element, the air element? Where is the difference? What, what is the conflict about? Is it the mind? The mind is also an element, mind element, manodhatu. The mind that knows, is there somehow some difference in knowing between one mind and another mind? And seeing, we all have eyes, unless we're getting old, we can all see. So if you're angry or dissatisfied with another person or jealous, the seeing, the eyes, the object seeing, the eye consciousness, between you and another being, is there any difference in that seeing? Is there anything to get angry about? Seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, that's all it is. Just moments of mind consciousness arising, passing away with different feeling, perception. Insight can also bring us back to the Brahma-viharas. The Brahmaviharas support the insight and so on. But this is how we can reflect on a daily basis, just bringing insight to bear on our experience. If we find the mind getting caught into different unwholesome dhammas, we just develop insight into that. Help bring your mind back to equanimity, coolness, peace. Uh, reflections with you for your contemplation tonight. <clears throat>